0: Now, there is an old fable, an old parable that's told. It's got a variety of different tellings depending on what culture is telling it. But it's the fable, uh, the story of the person who left one of his or her employees or family members an incredibly large sum of money. Let's just say for the sake of our story, $10 million. So someone leaves $10 million uh, in their inheritance And when they pass on, and the estate lawyer notifies this person who's the recipient. It may be an employee, depending on who's telling the story. It may be a family member. Well, the estate lawyer notifies this man, and this man, uh, the the lawyer says, hey, you've just been given $10 million. All you have to do is come to the bank, sign some papers, and it's all yours. Well, the man never comes. And several years pass, This man is starving, he's struggling, he has nothing, and the lawyer calls him and reminds him and says, hey, sir, you have all this money, it's yours for the taking, you just need to come to the bank and sign for it. And the man says, well, while I have you on the phone, can you spare 50 cents for some food? Food. And the parable's been told in a variety of cultures over time. And the parable is there to say that sometimes in life, we have access to an abundance of riches, an abundance of resources, but we don't take the time to take hold of what is ours. And I worry sometimes spiritually that I do this. And I worry sometimes spiritually that many of us do this because the scriptures say that those of us who are followers of Jesus, we're told that we have an incredible gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, The Holy Spirit of God is dwelling within us. All of the power of God, the same power that that raised Jesus from the grave, lives within us. The same, all the comfort that the scriptures say is possible in the gospel lives within us. We possess the Holy Spirit of God, and yet many of us never choose to access what we have been given. As if we have no grasp of what is available to us, so what many of us do is we go on with our lives trying to do spiritual things apart from the power of the Spirit. And then we wonder why our faith feels anemic. We wonder why our faith feels powerless. And for many of us, the truth is we have an abundance of riches. We've got money, we've got resources, we've got all sorts of things, but the one thing we need, we don't take hold of. Brother June, who led the underground church movement in communist China, he says that many of us We have silver and gold, but we don't rise up and walk in Jesus' name. And Jesus understood that there is so much in store for his people that we often ignore. In fact, uh, Jesus said that it would be, he told his disciples, it is best that I leave you. Like he tells them, it's best that I die and ascend to heaven and not be with you. So that the helper can come. He's referring to the Spirit. Jesus literally said that it's better for him to be on the throne in heaven and for the Spirit to be with you than for Jesus himself to be standing next to you holding your hand. Do you believe that? (laughs) Because we often live like, man, if Jesus was just right here and he could speak to me what to do, Jesus said it is better for him to go away so that he could send the Spirit. And so we have access to something that is unbelievably powerful. And yet we often, we fail to access this. And when you live apart from the Spirit, the Scriptures essentially say that we're forfeiting one of the greatest gifts that we have when we're a follower of Jesus. You are missing out on the fulfilling life that God offers, the life that He intends for you. And so today I want us to consider what it means to be filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does it mean to walk in the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. And we've been studying uh, the book of Ephesians for the last several months, and we're we're in chapter 5 today, and if you're in one of our small groups, our communities, um, you're going to be studying this week verses 1 through 21. There's a ton there. Um, And unless you guys want to be here for like three hours, I can't possibly teach on all 21 of those verses. That's what our groups are for. So I'm going to jump right down to verse 18, and we're going to get to work in verses 18 through 21, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 18, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. How? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, and so we can say something like, "Oh, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit." And what does that mean? Like that's very, like that's very Christiany, churchy language. Be filled with the Spirit. Okay, what does that even mean? I want you to notice the verb tense in this passage. It's actually a command. It's a command. Be filled. Be filled with the spirit. It's not like, hey, if you want to be filled, like try it out. It's Paul says be filled with the spirit. It is a command. And not only that, in the original original language, this verb is a present imperative, meaning it implies continual action. So, it could be translated as be being filled. Be constantly being filled with the spirit, as if Paul is saying, "Keep on, keep on being filled with the Spirit again and again and again and again, over and over, and in some ways there's even a warning here. It's as if Paul is saying, "Keep being filled, be being filled by the Spirit, or, or else, you will miss out on the life that Jesus wants for you." And you see, we miss out on the life that Jesus is calling us to when we live within ourselves. The Scriptures call this "in the flesh." The book of Galatians says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, when we walk by in ourselves, that is when we are not walking in the Spirit. And so there's this distinction in the New Testament. It says, don't walk in your own power. Don't walk in your own desires. Don't walk in your own ambition. Don't walk in your own fleshly power, but rather walk by the power of the Spirit of God continually walk by the Spirit, continually be filled with the Spirit, and you will live a life that is more fulfilling and more powerful than you could ever live life in your own power. Now, before going any further, I want to at least make this point. I want you to hear this. We've been studying Ephesians, and Ephesians 1 told us that we were sealed by the Spirit. And you're like, well, this says be being filled by the Spirit, but then Ephesians 1 said you're sealed by the Spirit, so what is it? Um, Ephesians 1 was telling us that there is, we are sealed by the Spirit, meaning a once and for all, non-repeatable action. God does this when we cross the line of faith into discipleship to Jesus. So when you become a follower of Jesus, that moment you are given the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God does multiple things. He shines a spotlight on Jesus so that you can see Jesus for who He is. The Holy Spirit also protects your salvation. So you're not in danger of losing your salvation if you're not constantly in touch with the Spirit. But rather, see, the Spirit seals your salvation. But it also means, though, that we, that Christians do, we possess the Spirit, period. It has been given to us as a gift at the moment of our salvation. The Spirit is not someone that comes and goes in our lives, okay? It's not like the Spirit we, Spirit, come in this place. It's like he, the Spirit is here. The question is, are we ready to receive what the Spirit is doing? The Spirit's not someone that comes and goes in our life, but rather, He is someone that is here, but we often ignore Him. We avoid accessing Him, and we ignore Him. But He's always with us, and He's always available to us. And it is possible, and sadly, it's even too common for professing Christians to possess the Spirit, but cease to be being filled with the Spirit. This is why so many of us are so weary and why we're so tired. This is why our faith just feels powerless at times. You know, many of you say, you know, you ask, why am I in such a spiritually dry season? There's a hundred reasons why that could be the case. But one of those reasons could be that you're no longer being filled with the influence of the Spirit in your life. You're quenching the Spirit in your life. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Holy Spirit. You know, being filled with the Spirit of God, it's not a one-time choice. The command is to keep on being filled. To walk in the Spirit is a life of being filled with the Spirit. One teacher says, Quenching the Spirit. And many people often ask, what, is, what does it mean to quench the Spirit? And, and we get so afraid that we're going to do something that quenches the Spirit in our life, that grieves the Spirit. And we think it's this... What is the thing that that quenches the Spirit? One teacher says, quenching the Spirit is usually not lost through one defiant no, but rather through a whole lot of not nows. You see, the enemy of life in the Spirit is not defiance. It's not, I don't want to be filled with the Spirit. The enemy of life in the Spirit is laziness and apathy. And "Eh, Not now, maybe tomorrow. See, and if you put together in your life a long enough string of not nows or not todays, what will happen is it will cause you to have a dulling lack of concern for the Spirit until you slowly and gradually just drift from it. But God has said to us, in Christ, you are healed, you are forgiven, you are set free. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. But if we want to access the healing that has been given to us through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus... We must keep taking it in every day. Uh, Colossians 3.16, the Apostle Paul says, Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. You see, you must take the words of Christ and preach them to yourself every day. You must have practices and disciplines in your life that you can wake up and you can receive and remind and recite to yourselves the promises of God and the comforts of Jesus into your life day by day. You take in the gospel, you take in the gifts of the Spirit every single day, and you never stop. So I confess, I don't know very much about pharmacology. That's why it's good. I always text Colette via with all my questions. I'm like, hey, I don't tell me about this medicine. You know, it's good to have a pharmacist on speed dial. Um, but one of the things I've always been told is when you get a prescription, take all of it. You've got to take all of it. I've got so many empty Z-packs sitting in our cabinet because I'm not good at this. Are you supposed to, if you get a, a prescription, you're supposed to take all of it to the very last pill? Why? Because you will not let the drugs run their full course. And many of us, what happens is we get the prescription, we take it a couple days, then we start feeling fine, we don't notice the symptoms of our sickness, and so we, we think, I'll be fine without it, and we quit taking the drugs. But what happens is we think it doesn't make a difference, I'll be okay without it, or I feel fine. And so you don't think about it. But even though you may feel better, the illness-causing bacteria that is in your body hasn't been completely killed, which is why you need to continue taking the prescription until you've completely killed the virus. Because if you don't take all of the prescription, you run the risk of the illness multiplying again and coming back stronger. So we take all of our medicine When it's been given to us, we take it day by day by day, even when we don't experience the symptoms. You see, we must receive the promises and the comforts of God day by day by day. And this is what the Spirit offers us. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But what happens is many of us, we go, I feel fine today. Apart from him, I'll do okay today. And Romans 8.13 says, though, that if we live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, do not quench the Spirit. Continue to receive day by day the Spirit of God and the gifts that the Spirit gives. It's life or death, Romans 8 says. You see, I'll give some examples. You see, we quench the Spirit when we hear Him speak and then we ignore Him. So, I don't know if you ever had an argument with your spouse. And you walk into the other room. Both of you are kind of hot, and you realize you hear the Spirit speaking into you. That was dumb. Like, what were you fighting about? That was so dumb. Go in there and apologize. Restore the relationship with your spouse. And you're like, no way, because that would be admitting defeat, right? We're quenching the voice of the Spirit in that moment. When the Spirit speaks into you and says, seek reconciliation, and we go, no, 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 not today. I want to win the argument. We're quenching the voice of the Spirit. When we hear the Spirit say, be generous. Be generous, be sacrificial. And we go, yeah, not today. I have a couple other things I want to take care of before I can do that. Or when you hear there's that habitual sin in your life, that thing that just continues to happen week after week after week after week after day after day, and the Spirit says, don't do it. And you go, this is the last day, I promise. We're quenching the Spirit one day at a time. And what happens is our resolve atrophies and we forget how to walk in the Spirit until one day we wake up and we've grown completely numb to the voice of the Spirit. Now, I've been trying to build a case over the last 15 minutes of why we need the Spirit. We need the Spirit of God. Can I talk back to me? It's okay to be a little Pentecostal right now. Amen. We need the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And here's what it means. Paul actually tells us, because he uses a comparison, to live by the Spirit is to live under the controlling influence of Christ within you. You see, Paul contrasts being filled with the Spirit with being drunk with wine and uh, uh, being drunk with alcohol. And In both cases, whether being drunk or being filled with the Spirit, you are under a controlling influence, right? So when you're drunk, Every aspect of your body is taken over by the alcohol. Like, the alcohol controls you, every part of your body, your eyes, your reflexes, your brain, your liver, your stomach, your blood, all of it. I mean, you can test, this is why you can test if someone is drunk by their breath, by the way they walk, by their eyes, by their, you can take a blood sample, their liver, I mean, all of it. You see, because alcohol gets into every part of your body And it affects every part of your body. Every movement, every thought is all affected by the alcohol. And being filled with the Spirit then, because Paul makes this contrast, it means that we are being permeated, every aspect of our being, every area of your life is to be affected by the life of the Spirit within you. This is why life in the Spirit is often contrasted with life in the flesh. See, life controlled by the Spirit of Christ Versus a life where you maintain control. And isn't that our biggest issue? Like sin, uh, you know, our, our lack of resolve, our, our lack of generosity, our hatefulness, our bitterness, all those sort of things. At the end of the day, those things are our desire to be in control. We want control of our lives, but the scriptures say, die to yourself and live by life in the Spirit. And the question I have for you this afternoon is this. If the Spirit of God were not in your life, would you notice? Like if the Holy Spirit, which if you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit will not leave you. But let's say hypothetically, if the Spirit of God were to just leave right now, would you even notice? Would anyone around you even notice? This is a good diagnostic question to go, am I walking in the Spirit? Are you noticeably living under the controlling influence of Christ in every area of your life? And I don't know about you guys, but when I get into holiday season, I get really reflective. I'm a pretty contemplative kind of guy, but like holidays just make me start reflecting on the past year and my life and all these sort of things. And as you get reflective during this season, I want you to ask yourself, do I really want to be filled with the Spirit of Christ? Do I really want to love the way Christ has loved me? Do I really want to be joyful as Christ is joyful? Do I really want to be as peaceful and patient and kind and gentle and generous and faithful and self-controlled as Jesus is? And listen, you know the answer is yes. That's what you want. Like that. That is what you want more than anything in the world, whether you realize it or not. You want to be more like Jesus because that is where abundant life is found. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I am the life. This is where life is found. This is what you really want. So then we must ask, how are we filled with the Spirit again and again and again? And Paul gives us actually three very simple spiritual practices that will help us be filled with the Spirit. They're going to seem so simple because we've been taught in American Christianity to complicate this. Okay, stay in the right way, breathe the right way, read the right books, you know. uh, Holy Spirit, come. You know, it's like an incantation. But Paul's very simple. He says there's three very simple spiritual practices that you can do that will cause the Spirit to come alive in your life, for you to open yourself up to receive the Spirit's work in your life. The first is we are filled with the Spirit when we sing to one another. Okay, And you're like, I do not like that because I don't like to sing. I'm not a singer. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You see, music is a powerful thing, isn't it? Like, music is a very interesting, very powerful thing. Music is both a response to our emotions. I mean, when we are happy, we sing. When we, are, when we have the blues we sing. You know, there's all these genres that come out of happiness. There's genres that come out of sadness. All these sort of things. Music is a response to our emotions. We feel something and a song comes out. But emotions can also be a response to music. Like, can't stop the feeling, troll soundtrack. When that comes on in my house, I can be in the worst mood in the world and I get happy. Because music has a way of altering our emotions. Like if you go to a wedding you go to some party, you a good DJ knows that if the reception is dull, if the party is kind of lagging, nobody's on the dance floor, people are getting kind of sleepy and people are starting to leave, they know that there's a handful of songs that they can pull out in that moment that can wake the crowd up. Like, you get a sleepy room of people and you play Sweet Caroline or Piano Man, like you can, like the whole room can change, Right? If you're at a sporting event and the home team, the fans are getting kind of dull, that, the you know, the guy who runs the PA, he knows if you turn on Who Let the Dogs Out or, you know, Crazy Train, Ozzy Osbourne, like, I I I people are going wild. You can wake up a sleepy, lazy, apathetic sports fan with just a couple of songs. You see, many of us, uh, we say, well, I don't want to sing if I don't feel like it. That would be faking it. Sometimes... The music is a response to our emotions, but sometimes we sing to get our emotions where we want them to be. You see, this is why we sing in church. It's why singing is so important for the people of God, because singing shapes us more than almost anything else we do. Psalm 95, the psalm writer says, Come, let us sing to the Lord, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us, keep in mind, he's talking plural. Come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise, for the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Now this psalm writer, who's he singing to? He's singing to God, yes, but he's also singing to others. He's reminding the people of God about the truth of God. He says, let us sing to God, but also sing to one another. Paul says, let us address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Okay, so uh, over a hundred times in the Bible we are commanded to sing. You see, you cannot sing and it not involve your emotions. You can listen to music and it not involve your emotions. You can stand there doing that and not get stirred up. But I promise you, if you start singing as loud as you can, something's going to click in you. And it's easy for us to say, well, I don't feel like singing or I don't like these songs. Listen, one, first, it's not about you. Paul says that you're singing to the people around you. We're singing the gospel to the people around us. We're singing to one another because we're blessing one another. But the second thing is you say, Well, I don't feel like singing, and I get that because I'm not a big like I get that. But listen to me. You do you are not supposed to wait until your heart is warm to sing praises to God. Because if you wait, you will never begin. You warm your heart by singing praise to God until your heart is warm with praise for God. We are filled with the Spirit when we sing to one another. We are also filled with the Spirit by being thankful. Be filled with the Spirit, Paul says. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 92 says it is good to give thanks to the Lord. It is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances. There's some tough circumstances in this room. Paul says, Give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. He says, Give thanks, however, in all circumstances. And listen to this. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We've been talking about this a lot lately, the will of God. What is God's will for your life? To be thankful in all circumstances. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, it's to be thankful. Thankfulness is the mark of a Spirit-filled life. I know that in my own life, one of the diagnostics I can check of going, am I walking in the flesh? Is I, It's real easy for me for cynicism, bitterness, and ungratefulness to roll up into my heart. And that is the first sign that I'm not walking by the Spirit, but that I'm walking in the flesh. And you say, well, it's so hard to be thankful. You don't know my life. You're right, I don't know your life. But I know that the scriptures say that we are to give thanks not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. And I also know that probably the greatest chapter on thankfulness, Philippians chapter 4, was written by a man who was in prison, essentially on death row, not knowing if he was going to live or die. And he said, the secret to contentment, he said, I know the secret of contentment, and that's to know God. I had a sociology professor in college, and we had an assignment that he made us do. At the beginning of the semester, he made us have a journal. And I've never been a big journaler. It's just not really, it's just not something I've ever, ever been good at. But he, he said, every week, you have an assignment. You have to turn in your journal every week. And every week, he said, you know, the night before our class, it was a Monday morning, he said, every Sunday night, I want you to pull out your journal. I want you to make a list. Number eight, this, uh, one list of eight uh, items and then one list of four items. So there was top eight and bottom four. He said, "I want you to list out the top eight things that you are grateful for that happened to you in the past week," and then he said, "I want you to list the bottom four things that you just hated about your life this week." And here's what happened: the very first week, and this was he was doing research on us. We were guinea pigs, you know. I'm sure he probably wrote some peer-reviewed article somewhere. But um, the first couple of weeks, it was so easy to come up with that bottom four. It was like, oh man, this this professor making me do this assignment. One. This, I hate this. Well, you know, my girlfriend broke up with me, or this happened, or this, or this, all these terrible things in life. It was so easy to come up with bottom four because it's easy for our brains to focus on the heart. But then you're like, you're like struggling to come up with eight good things. But over the course of the semester, what happened is I believe our brains actually got rewired. I got to the point where I was thinking constantly when something something kind of minor would happen. And I would be, like, I would, uh, like, I remember distinctly, I tried vanilla Coke for the first time. And I was like, this is amazing. You guys ever had this? Now they have vanilla Dr. Pepper, which is even better. But I was like, this is incredible. And I remember, like, I was going, this is going in my top eight. Because it was like this little moment of just total joy. And what happened is I would go through my life and a conversation here or a little thing would happen here and I would go, I'm going to write that down. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to write that down so that I can put it in my top eight. And what happened is I'm convinced my brain got rewired to start thinking of all the things I was grateful for. And by the end of the semester, I would come to write that assignment on Sunday nights and my little pocket journal would have 30 things that I, that I, I had to narrow down to eight. And then I would go, I haven't even thought about bottom four all week. You see, you can actually rewire your brain to be thankful. In all circumstances, not for all circumstances. There's still a bottom four. That assignment dignified that there are hard things in life. But we can, the, the, we can upstage our cynicism, our bitterness, and our suffering with the gifts of God if we are grateful for the gifts of God. And so what we do is we are thankful for the gifts that God has given us even as we dignify the fact that life can be really hard. And when cynicism and suffering and bitterness creep into our hearts, We then upstage it with the gifts of God. We go, this is hard, but God has given me these things. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, to be thankful. We are also filled with the Holy Spirit when we honor one another. You notice how these are all outward focused? We think that the Holy Spirit is like this thing for me and the Spirit. I'm going to sit here and receive the Spirit. No, you get to work serving the people of God and serving the world around you, and the Spirit will work through you. Be filled with the Spirit, Spirit submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, when you honor others, the Spirit actually is using you to remind them of a greater story of who they are in Christ. And when you do this, the power of the Spirit flows through you, which leads you to experiencing the power of the Spirit. Again, we don't wait to serve others until the Spirit gives us the feel like it. We serve others and the Spirit then works through us and then we experience the power of the Spirit working through us. Henry Nowen, former Harvard and Yale professor, he was also a priest. Um, he kind of famously gave up, you know, all the, the status of being a Harvard, Yale Ivy League professor and being a priest in the parish in those cities. And he gave the he, he retired from those things and gave the final decade of his life to working with mentally handicapped people. And he tells a story of one day they had little services at this home he was at. And this woman, Janet, who was a mentally disabled woman, she came up to him and she said, you know, she said, Henry, I need a blessing. And he's like, well, I'm a, I was a priest for all these years. And so he reaches over and he, you know does that. And she says, no, I want a real blessing. Don't give me some of that religious stuff. And so he reaches out. He gave her, he says, the biggest hug he could ever give. And he wrapped her in his arms. And he said these words, Janet, I want you to know that you are God's beloved daughter. You are precious in God's eyes. Your beautiful smile, your kindness to the people in this home, and all the good things you do show us what a beautiful human being you are. I know you feel a little low these days and that there is some sadness in your heart. But I want you to remember who you are. You are a very special person, deeply loved by God and all the people who are here with you. And what happened was after Janet received her blessing, now and said, there was a line of all these developmentally disabled men and women saying, I want one of those as well. And he says, that is when the Spirit was most powerfully working for when he was serving some developmentally disabled men and women, telling them who they are in Christ. Listen, that's what the Thanksgiving offering is for. It's a way to honor the people in our church through our benevolence offering, and it's a way to honor children living in poverty in one of the poorest nations in the world. In a a few minutes, Kyle's going to give some announcements, and he's going to talk about a toy drive that we're doing over Christmas where we're partnering with... Metro World child, and we're doing a toy drive in Sunset Park. You go, I of my schedule, I don't have that's not for me. I'm not gifted with I just do it. Show up and just just show up, serve our community, and see what the Spirit will do in your heart. We're gonna tell Paul's gonna or Kyle's gonna announce about a Guild Christmas concert. You know, the Guild for Exceptional Children, a home for adults living with developmental disabilities that we partner with. We've been doing this for years and years and years. We're not able to have our normal Christmas party with the photo booth and the dancing and Eddie giving everybody hugs and all that sort of stuff. But what we are doing this year is we're going to give Christmas carols to them. And we're going to do a concert. And you go, well, I don't like to sing. Well, guess what? The Spirit's going to work for you twice. All right? Through your singing and through your honoring the developmentally disabled people in our community, the Spirit is going to work through you. and You're going to experience God do something powerful through your life and in your life. Be a part of these things. We honor one another so that the Spirit can do, do a work within us and through us. Listen, one last time, this analogy of drunkenness. See, alcohol is a depressant. Alcohol, you go, alcohol can make you happy. And alcohol can make you joyful, and it can make you silly, and it can make you party, and it can make you do all those sort of things, but you know how it does it? You know how alcohol makes you happy? By numbing you to reality. So you got a bunch of problems, and you throw back a couple of whiskeys, and you're like, oh, I feel better now. You don't feel better. The reason you feel better is because you're forget- it numbs you to your problems. You drink to forget, not to remember, right? Ignorance brings bliss, The Spirit, on the other hand, makes us happy through awareness. You see, the Spirit's job is to remind us of a story greater than the one we're currently living in. You see, the job of the Holy Spirit is to shine a spotlight on the work of Jesus. And this gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yeah, you can throw back a few drinks and feel happy, But when the drink wears off you're going to remember your life and you're going to be sad again but if you're filled with the spirit what happens is you become aware of a greater story than the one that you're currently living and the awareness of the greater story then trumps and upstages the story you're living and you can be grateful in all circumstances even if you're not grateful for all circumstances because even in your worst circumstances the cross still happened And your sins are still forgiven. And even in the worst circumstances, the resurrection still happened and the tomb is still empty, which means that the power of the Spirit is still at work within you. And the power of the Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, can work a miracle in your life and can bring comfort in your life and can bring joy in your life. And so the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does when we are drunk on the Spirit is our eyes are taken off the hard parts of life. And our eyes are made aware of God and through Christ who has given Himself for us, lived the life we can never live, died the death we deserve, and kicked open the grave so that we don't have to live under the fear of death or condemnation anymore. See, this is what we celebrate when we take communion. One, of The reason we take communion every week is to again and again and again receive the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit is the one who teaches us that that cup is the blood of Jesus shed for you. And the Spirit is the one that teaches us that that bread is the body broken for you. And because the body of Christ was broken, you can be made whole again. And because the blood of Jesus was shed over you, you can be washed clean. This is the good news of the Gospel, and it is the job of the Spirit to fill us with this good news day by day, again and again and again. God, thank You that You have not left us powerless. You have given us Your Spirit to be with us and to come upon us and to lead us and to comfort us. And sometimes life is very difficult. Sometimes life is wonderful. But we are always in need of Your Spirit. We are always in need of being filled with Your Spirit. And so God, would You help us walk in Your Spirit today and tomorrow and in the days ahead. Remind us again and again the love of Jesus who lived and died in our place and gave up His Spirit into your hands so that you could give it to us, so that we could have power and comfort. And it's in your name.